And welcome back to the For Film Take Podcast, everybody. My name is Brian Ashija, and I'm here with... Chris Lucky. And today we're going to be talking about Good Time. Hey. Not the sitcom. <laughs> Not Good Times. Not Good Times, as I mistakenly Googled seven <laughs> times trying to find this fucking movie today. Damn, damn, <laughs> damn! <laughs> kind of how I felt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Good Time uh, with Robert Pattinson, directed yeah. by Brandy Safi. But before any of that, uh, ketchup, condiments, ketchup, mustard. The relish. The relish. Oh, fuck. Relish is a condiment that yeah. does not get enough credit. It doesn't. Uh-uh. I love relish. I don't, I don't know how to feel about relish. Really? Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about the contents. What is it like? Pickles cut up and... What yes, is, it's yeah. it's cut up pickle mm-hmm. and sort of like a, a thicker, sweet, tangy sauce, okay. you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's like vinegary, all that tart from the pickle, but it also comes with like a little, a little bit more sugar sweetness. Okay. So I fucking love that shit. Right. Shit is delicious. Sauerkraut and relish, mm. fuck me up. That shit is good. I, I have I, there's something about vinegar I have a real problem with. Do I you like barbecue sauce? I love and I make my own barbecue sauce yeah. with vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Wait, you make your own barbecue sauce. Hold up. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yes, over the past like, not know two, this. over the past two months, I've been perfecting a barbecue sauce, and it's been going pretty well. You How's, know, a little bit of vinegar, a little Worcestershire sauce, a little bit of my cayenne, a little bit of honey. You know, I bought some um, some barbecue sauce back from Canada, and I was mm-hmm. using some of that. A little bit of sweet baby rays, a little bit of other stuff. Like I've been, you know, you've been you've been getting it in. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah you have sauce. that like fancy smoker too. That yeah, shit sounds man. fucking yeah. delicious. And that's what I'll, that's what I do. I'll, I'll put all the ingredients and stir it all in, and then put mm-hmm. it in the smoker, and then just let it all congeal and come together oh, with fuck. the smoke. It's pretty dope. Sounds sauce. so fucking good. Oh, yeah. Fucking barbecue sauce. I want barbecue sauce. <laughs> like, I've never found a barbecue sauce that I loved from the get-go. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh, any, kind of. like anything that's, like, in a bottle mm-hmm. or anything like that, I've always been, like, blech about. The the closest thing I found is Sweet Baby Ray's. Yeah, like, I think I that's like the best theirs, one. But it can always be improved upon. Yeah, I right. agree with that. Fucking, I, I love that you're making your own fucking yeah, uh, barbecue sauce. I mean, we'll see how that turns out in a couple months. Like, mm. I always go on these little things where I want to make my own thing. Like, I did, uh, I made my own toothpaste like a year ago, <laughs> if you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely forgot about that. Yeah, I made my own toothpaste, but then it's like, it didn't work out too well because, like, I had it inside the tube. Then it all just, like, solidified in the tube. And then I couldn't even, it wouldn't work for me anymore. But, like, we'll see how this barbecue sauce thing goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I, like, I became obsessed with learning how to do homemade pasta. Mm. And like I nailed it, yeah. But after I nailed it, I yeah. was just kind of like, well, I, right. I guess I don't have to make homemade pasta no, anymore. You know how to do it now. I know how it works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fucking awesome. Oh, speaking of homemade pasta, I've been watching um, guys' grocery games. Oh, I fucking love that shit, man. Like absolute yes. guilty pleasure. Me too, man. Yeah. It's like because uh, there used to be a show called Supermarket Sweep back in the nineties <laughs> that I, I used to love this show, and now guys brought it back and then changed it a little bit. Man, I like that show so much. Like me and Ted sat there and watched this all weekend. When I when I used to work at the cinema at AMC at the bar, Mm -hmm. every other bartender would play sports. uh, Would vary from like tennis to poker or whatever. Not me. Mm -hmm. I would play that fucking food network. Damn right. And I would play diners, drivers, and dives. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. guys' grocery games. Yes. And let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. On slow days, that man got me through some boring ass times. Uh, I bet. (laughs) I fucking love guy. First of all, Guy Fieri. He gets a lot of shit. I fucking Mm -hmm. love him. Me too. All right. He's a man with a dream that's helping people. Guy Fieri is the shit. Yes. Sure, Flavor Town is weird. I mean, I'm I'm all for Flavor Town. You (laughs) send me straight to Flavor Town. (laughs) Right in. (laughs) Fucking right through the gate. No ticket. No nothing. Just fucking stroll right in. Guy Fieri's at the other side holding two bottles of barbecue sauce going come right in brother the shit's gangster <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you know he's opening up a chicken strip spot not really the 
only sell chicken strips. Oh, fuck. Only chicken strips. But there are, I bl- I'm probably going to get the number wrong, but it was 21 different sauces. Oh, that sounds good. So many different sauces. And I'm like, good. I'm all for that. Because you know the chicken is going to be on point. That's the only right, thing yeah. you're selling. All those different sauces. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and fuck me up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, go ahead and do that. <laughs> One of my favorite videos of all time mm-hmm. is someone compiled a bunch of clips of Guy Fieri eating yeah. and then overlaid Johnny Cash's hurt on oh. top of it <laughs> and it's just like Guy Fieri yeah. just shoving a big fat fucking meaty burger slow in his motion face. style <laughs> I hurt myself fucking mashed potatoes in yes. his mouth love it I love Guy Fieri Me he too. does not get enough credit nah, shout out to you guys it's pretty awesome yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what you been up to this week you see anything do anything um, did I tell you that I saw How to Train Your Dragon last week yeah last week okay yep. that was last week oh, yeah. um, I haven't been doing a whole lot I oh I didn't tell you this a while ago but mm-hmm. in South, I went to visit Annie in South Carolina mm-hmm. not too long ago because she got locked out of her own house yeah and they had they have an Amelie's down there too in their downtown nice they were fucking filming a commercial right in front of the Amelie's mm-hmm. for like a golf tournament okay um, they shut down the entire street yeah and like they had fucking like rain machines and like there was a Focus puller guy, yeah. like with like a whole station, and all he did was like pull focus. Yeah. That director was a Kiwi from New Zealand. Oh, um, it was fucking awesome. Yeah, and like they just shut everything down, and I started talking to some of the people, and yeah. like, and I'm, I'm now like in that process of like drafting up an email to send to the people. They yeah. gave me like a couple of websites where you can find anyone that's working in Charlotte. Hell yeah, and doing all that. So I'm like fucking hyped about that. That sounds pretty cool. It was really fucking cool. Just like being in the right place, right time type of thing. Yeah, it really was. Like Annie sat down for coffee. Yeah. And then she messaged me a video and just went like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but like three cameras just pulled up and like we have rain machines and like there's a dude swinging golf balls. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. It's just like, all right, bet. Yeah. So I showed up and it was great. Nice. Uh, and like, I didn't know there's like a, like a film festival scene in Rock Hill, South Carolina as well. Oh, I didn't know that. That goes through Winthrop University. Oh, I can, I can imagine that. Yeah. yeah. That's and a good film school. That's, school. that's a, really? I don't know. It's not a film school, but it's a good school to go to for film. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And like, they have a fucking film festival there and I'm just like, oh, fuck yeah. I didn't yeah. know any of this shit. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's probably what I'll be doing for the next couple of months, just trying to sneak in into a set. Yeah. And like just pick up I'll pick up duck poop. Just hey man, just being there. in the room. Like yeah, that's yeah. super important. Fuck um, it, man. So I feel like that was the most exciting thing that I just absolutely forgot to mention. Okay. Um but other than that, uh, not a lot. I've been catching up in Steven Universe. I'm on yeah. season four. Nice. There's only five seasons. Okay. I'm sad. I love that show. Because soon you'll have nothing. Have yeah, that's nothing. that's the sad part, yeah. It is the only television show that I've been able to like sit through consistently. Yeah. Cause it's just so like I think it's just because it's so digestible. Like every yeah. episode is twelve minutes. Yeah. Things happen quick, and yeah. that's like a that's like a great thing about cartoon shows that mm-hmm. I really like. Mm-hmm. Like specifically kids' cartoons. Yeah, fifteen minutes at most. Get in, get out. Tell yeah. your story. I want to co-sign that hardcore because I didn't think about that either until a couple of weeks ago. I got on the Hulu train. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, I went and got on the Hulu train because, um, like, I said, I'm still experiencing some of those commercials, or whatever. But I still went ahead and paid for it all the way out, and they have Doug on there. They got oh, Doug. The, the Nickelodeon Nickelodeon guy? Doug. I, I kind of dug that shit. I loved it. That was one of my favorite cartoons back in the day before they went to uh, One Saturday Morning on uh, ABC or whatever. I didn't like that Doug. <laughs> but the Doug, on, <laughs> the Doug on Nickelodeon. I miss the old Doug. <laughs> yep. The old pork chop. Because like, the animation style was different. And I'm like, I'm like 11 years old, but I knew I couldn't get jiggy with that. <laughs> I just knew something wasn't right. Roger looking all different. Patty Mayonnaise <laughs> hair is different. Like, nah. But um, I was watching the original Nickelodeon on Hulu. And it was just like you were saying. It, it just gives like for a kid that has a short attention span within a 30 minute episode of Doug, which is really like 20, 
four minutes because yeah. commercials or whatever. It's like you get a ten to twelve minute episode and then another ten to twelve minute episode. Yeah, you got two episodes for a half hour. Long. Yeah, same thing in Rugrats. Like yeah. I loved how they did that. That's how SpongeBob worked too. Like yeah. SpongeBob, every one of those shows. Mm-hmm. Like and, and it makes sense for like like a kid's attention. Yeah. Like just get in, get out, tell your story, make us laugh, yep. give us a few jokes. Yep. But also like those shows managed to get some like real heavy emotional tonality Definitely in there sometimes. Did. Yeah. And it just like and I see things like like I love Netflix originals. Like mm-hmm. I really love that there's a platform that's making those shows. Me too. But like forty five minutes per episode, like yeah. you really you're starting to push mm-hmm. because you're not selling me a TV show. Mm-hmm. You're selling me half a movie. That's basically at that it is, point, yeah. you know, yep. and like if you're selling me half a movie, watching two episodes, I've watched a whole movie, yeah, and you haven't given me any real payoff of anything, yep. Um, so I feel like that that episodic format mm. is losing its meaning a little bit because it's not every episode is not as engaging. You essentially yeah. have to; they want you to binge the season, yep. So because it means more ratings for them on yeah, the short term. About to go, yeah. Um, but I just feel like that idea is just like downgrading the quality very of storytelling much, very much we're seeing the same thing with um with music uh with spotify itunes and uh title how an artist will release uh an album with 30 songs on there 40 songs on there right. maybe four or five ten of them at max are good but you have to listen through all those songs and then it's just more clicks more ratings and it's like i see with your argument there i see that heavy in uh, documentaries uh, on yeah. netflix oh, i fucking hate that shit. yeah it's like this didn't have to be seven episodes you know this could have been be two or three yeah. yeah yeah but they wanted to string that out but yeah i super Agree with you and like that. and like I, I a lot of times it's not the filmmaker's fault no. like it's just like the contract for the distribution deal that they just have to push eight episodes out yeah. like i get it yep. but i think that it's it's a mistake on the format because like steven universe like the minute the episodes are literally 11 to 12 minutes yeah and i've cried in like five of those minutes in some it. episodes yeah and it's just like fuck you can definitely do it oh yeah um so i've been enjoying the shit out of steven universe nice. it's fantastic that's probably one of my favorite like character progressions yeah. in like any source of fiction. Okay. Because he starts out so shite and weak. Yeah. But he he's like he's kind of a badass. He is. Fucking kid. I've only seen two seasons of it, so I'm gonna have to catch it all the way up then. Oh yeah, like when you get to season four, he's like doing some badass shit. Like, okay. He's, he's kind of awesome. Nice. Uh, and like I don't know, I just been really really digging it. That's most of what I've been watching. Nice. How about you? Yeah. Um, I I signed up uh, last month for a uh, for a 5K, and that time Wait, has for a marathon. Yeah, um, not a marathon, just a 5K. Oh, okay. Cool. But it's um that time is coming up on March the 9th, so this Saturday. So oh. like, it's, it's here. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's next week. That's yeah. next. That's next week. That's literally <laughs> seven days from now. And it's like I've been preparing for it, but I haven't run a full 5K since 2012. Right. Where my body was much younger and much more adapt. You know, yeah. it could just do more so it's like i've been training and doing 3ks like twice a week since late january trying to get back in shape for it but man like i have this thing called a nike plus app on my phone Mm -hmm. and it saved all my runs from like 2008 all the way through now and like i look at my time for those runs back then and look at myself now i'm like i'm never gonna be able to be that guy again like i'm trying busting my ass right now but my time (laughs) is not getting to that you know but um but the 5k is coming up and it's oh i want to plug um it's from um it's a seventh annual run gen run 5k It'll be at Symphony Park in um, South Park, and all proceeds go to uh, breast cancer. Sweet. Is there anything that people that are not running can do to go support it besides going to watch? Yeah, yes, it's on uh, www.gogengo.org, and you can donate from there, and it all okay. goes towards breast cancer. Okay, fuck yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That is pretty cool, yeah. But um, Khalil and Sarah, were um, they told me about it a couple months ago, so props to them for that. And but yeah, if anybody wants to support that through the run or through money, please do because breast cancer fucking sucks. So here's how I predict that that when you show up because that happens on Saturday, we yeah. record on Sunday. Yep. 
And I predict that you're going to run the 5K yeah. and you're just going to be like, fuck yeah, I ran the 5K. Yep. And then like Ultra, like Goku, Ultra Instinct and the end of Super, mm. you're going to get home and you're just going to like, gug, 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 and yeah. crash. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know, because like I, when I first started back training in January, remember I came in here, I'm like, I can't walk, man. My legs, my feet, everything in my feet hurt. All my legs. So it's like, I think I've gotten through a lot of that, but I still haven't gone through the extended 5K, so you might be right. It's like, I'll see you on Monday, you're like in a fucking wheelchair. I'm like, listen, this is awkward, but can you carry me up the stairs? Like- <laughs> um, the other thing, um, Mortal Kombat 11, they released some of the um, the fatalities. Oh, that shit looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, like if if you cop that game, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. April we, we on it, yes, we on it, we on it, we on it, <laughs> we on it. Then uh, who's your who's your guy? Uh, it's always been Jax because Jax. I'm yeah. black. <laughs> very simple reasoning for it. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the very first Mortal Kombat game. Yep. He was a black guy that was big and kick ass. Like so, it's like he wasn't even after the more Mortal Kombat's progressed and they made more characters. It became like more and more obvious that like Jax isn't the best fighting character. Right. You know, like not even close, not even top ten. But it's, but it's just <laughs> but like he's black. But he, but he is black, <laughs> and it's like I've learned to use him so well that I can whoop a lot of ass, ass with that. You know, that's the thing about Mortal Kombat. Like, mm. and not every character, like, they have superior movesets, mm. but, like, if you just learn how to use a character, yeah. you can kick some ass. Sure enough. But those those fatalities look fucking <sighs> hardcore. You see man. that Johnny Cage? I didn't, actually. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. Because they, they, um, they, there was an exploit in the original Mortal Kombat to where you do an uppercut, but if you do it too quick, then it does a triple uppercut and uppercuts the guy's head off. Oh, Jesus and Christ. And they, um, they did a play on it with Johnny Cage, so they have like the cameras on him, and he goes with an uppercut. No, no, cut. One more time. Goes to do the uppercut again. Cut. No, no, we got to do this again. The third time, he knocks the guy's head off. Throws it at the, the, the camera, breaks the screen, and then he takes a doll of himself, like a Johnny Cage doll of himself, and then start makes him do all fun. So whatever. Like he's the biggest douche ever. Oh, like, I, I love, love him so much. Yes. Johnny Cage has been my guy in Mortal Kombat yeah. for fucking ever. Yeah. Johnny and then Cassie Cage, his daughter? Yes. Oh, it's fuck like, yeah. You can kind of see why Sonya Blade was like, all right, I can't deal with this douchebag. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <Much> Absolutely. <longer. laughs> Like, I understand what that relationship fell through, yep. but, like, yep. Cassie is a fucking badass. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the best oh. thing that happened out of that relationship. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, oh, a shout out to Josh Cass, our sister podcast. Oh, yeah. They're back on Twitter. They I missed back. them. Yes. I had a conversation with them on Hell Twitter, yeah. like briefly, about yeah. cats and writing. Nice. <laughs> they they recommended this weird French group, that 90s French group. Yeah. I, I love them. They, they are awesome. Them. Like, I was, I hadn't heard from, like, I, I listened to the podcast. I haven't heard a podcast since December or so. Right. So I hit them up, and they're still alive and breathing. So that Good. was the number one thing. And they got gave us some correspondence back and forth. So, I mean, just shout out Josh Cast, our sister podcast. We love them. Listen to them. They do what we do, but in a British accent. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> they're, also, they're also, like, just really good at, like, talking. Like, I just yeah. love to hear them talk. Me too. I fucking love Josh Cast. Me shout too. out to you guys. Hell yeah. Uh, the, the last thing I seen was True Detective. I'm on episode seven of season True Detective, three? season three, okay. uh, Mahershala Ali. And um, I'm wondering if he's ever going to be able to be like the main star, like the main guy. It sounds like he's really fighting for being the main guy in a lot of things. He is. But like I was looking at um, the awards for Academy Awards mm-hmm. for people that have only won Best Supporting Actor and never the Best Actor Award. And Mahershala Ali has won Best Supporting twice within the past two years with Moonlight and Green Book as Best Supporting. That does make sense. You yeah. know, and I was like, is he ever going to be in that role of Best, you know, the, the main guy? Like even in like uh, in Cottonmouth and uh, Luke Cage, he's still yeah. a supporting Supporting guy. character. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, 
I wonder if it's because he hasn't gotten the opportunity to be a great lead. Like the, he hasn't gotten a, a role that's really suits him to mm. be a great lead on. Or if it's just one of those actors that works really well in small doses oh. when he shows up. It, 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 it's like I'm in True Detective, like he's the, the top build guy, mm -hmm. but it still kind of feels like he's the co-star to Steven Dorff, the other, the other guy on there. Right. And it looks like he just plays very well off of other people around him. But um, but True Detective season three is, is good-ish. It's all over the place. I don't, I mean, it really is. It's, it's kind of difficult to understand, but the thing that I do love about it is just like how it plays with time. You'll have the oldest version of Mahershala Ali and the way that they have Thomas, like say the, the 80 year old version of him, he'll be sitting in a room. He also has dementia. He'll be sitting in a room and looking at himself from 10 years ago or right. he'll look at himself for 30 years ago. But then when they're doing that surrealism approach, yeah, where like things yeah. start, reality starts shifting a little bit. Yeah. To where he can see back in his past, but like the way that Tom works, when you go back to where he actually is 30 years old, he can't look forward and see his 50 year old self or his 80 year old self and it's just so trippy seeing the older version being able to see all of those past things and become that's this. interesting i've always because i've never watched a detective mm. and i always got the impression that it was a crime procedural yeah um and like every time i hear someone talk about it crime procedural is like the, the least thing, thing. Yeah. that happens yep. so i generally have no fucking idea what true detective is about yeah um is it anthological uh, yeah, it is. Um, this is the third season, and all three of them completely different. Nothing completely different. Yeah. I might have to check no, that out. I wouldn't is recommend. The, is the first <laughs> wasn't <laughs> the first one good? Great. The first no. season is great. High key recommend. Nice. High key recommend. Like I'm on third season. I'm kind of enjoying it, but not to the point where I'm like, you need to go see this. No, you know, that makes so. sense. Well, well fuck yeah. I wonder. Like, I really want to see Mahar Maharshala Ali. Uh, Ali. Yeah, Maharshala. Ali. Yeah, yeah. Um, like as a lead and Me see too. how he like carries the lead role in a film particularly because yeah. he's got really good energy like I yes. really love him me too um, but I've only seen him like excel like being supporting and and it's, it's odd another thing that, that um, Tessa brought up she was like have you ever seen someone that shot because he's 40 he's in his mid 40s 45 I believe I thought that one was like early 30s mm -hmm. I'll have to yeah. look it up again but I believe he's 45 exactly yeah, he's a but, um, fucking snack yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I was like how does someone in there like do you remember what was the first thing you knew Mahershala Ali from Honestly, the there was a movie before Moonlight. There was something I saw him before Moonlight. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the name of it, but it was that when I first saw his face. Yeah. And I recognized him after that, after Moonlight. And yeah. that's when he was on my radar. Yeah, it was like he just, just boomed on the scene yeah. in his early 40s. And I was like looking through. I was like, what would I have known him from? The only thing I could have seen was the 4400, this show that was on Netflix a while about people disappearing. Right. But then it doesn't get to a big thing like Hunger Games. He was in that, but nobody really remembers him yeah. in either of those things. But then, bow, Moonlight, 2016, Oscar. Then the next year, Oscar. And I'm like, whoa, who? And then, like, after Moonlight, immediately after Moonlight, he was in Cottonmouth. Yep. He was in, in uh, Luke, Cage. Luke Cage. Yeah. Which was, like, an amazing, like, if you're a black actor yes. and you're one of the main people in Luke Cage, yep. everyone's going to remember you after that. Oh, yeah. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I feel like Moonlight like brought him into the stage. Bow. Luke Cage cemented him. Yeah. And now he's just getting a lot of gigs. Yeah. 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 Fuck yeah for Maharshala Ali. Yeah. I think it's fucking awesome. Hell yeah. Um, I haven't seen anything else. Okay. I don't have anything else to say. Yeah. My week has been somewhat um, lacking of adventure. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, went to Ikea yesterday. Mm. Ikea confuses me. Yes. It's big and elaborate and mazy. Mm. And I love it. What did you get anything? Uh, no, but I found a desk. It's All like right. a large, big wooden thing with metal legs yeah. that like might replace this desk okay. um, cause, just because it's fucking awesome. All right. um, but yeah, no, that's uh, nothing too exciting. Yeah. So anything else you want to add? 
Um, yeah, okay. No? Cool. Yeah. So we're going to cut and then we're going to talk about fucking good time. Good time! And welcome back. Good time. Good time! All right. <laughs> uh, the movie is a good time. It's a rated R, came out in 2017, listed as a drama crime movie with a runtime of one hour and 41 minutes. The rundown is... God, that movie felt a lot longer than an hour and 41 minutes. It felt super short to me. Really? It felt, it felt like an hour. <laughs> but um, uh, the, run, the rundown is, after a botched bank robbery lands his brother in prison, Constantine Connie, um, who's played by Robert Pattinson, embarks on a twisted odyssey through the city's underworld in an increasingly desperate and dangerous attempt to get his brother Nick out of jail. Over the course of one adrenalized night, Connie finds himself on a mad descent into violence and mayhem as he races against the clock to save his brother and himself, knowing their lives hang in the balance. Uh, it's directed by Benny and Josh Safdie mm-hmm. and written by Ronald Bronstein and Josh Safdie. Stars Robert Pattinson, Benny Safdie, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Barkhad Adi. Abdi. Barkhad Abdi? That's the guy from um, I'm the Captain Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I recognize him in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was very uh, surprised to see. The, uh, this movie, I'm fucking fascinated by mm-hmm. this movie. Jonathan recommended this movie when it came out, okay. and he was like writing this movie hard. Yeah, and I just never paid attention because like I'm not that invested in Robert Pattinson as a star, mm-hmm. and like it just, I just, I just missed the movie release. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back at it, like it's such an interesting weird shade of mm. cinema yeah because it's it's got that grungy crime yes. like neon yep. lit type situation going on but it never feels clean mm. or like it never feels like there's a mystery like it just always it feels like you're watching someone be chaotic mm. for an hour and a half mm. and then like just getting no relief from that, which is a really interesting tonality yes. for like a crime movie. Yeah. Um, like a crime thriller, mm-hmm. really. Because in a crime thriller, I expect the tr- the conventional way, it's just like we have the crime, we have what's happening, mm-hmm. we have the person trying to get away with the crime, yeah. and then we have someone trying to catch them. Yeah. And then you just kind of cut back between A back and B story. Yep. But there's none, no, none of that. No. <laughs> it's just A. You just, just following, got that main story, yeah. You just following Robert Pattinson uh, in the entire well, film. There, there, was, there should have been an A and B story, and that was my gripe. Mm-hmm. But I'm still like pretty high on the movie. The the B side of the story, I would have. There, there's a thing where, like in school, we talked about like, the difference between like a popcorn movie and like an a uh, movie that is could be high art, considered high art, or something that um right. Basically, these movies are movies that the director or the writer have something to say. They yeah. have a message that they want to get across with their movie, and I felt like the message was presented to us in the first ten minutes of the movie and the last ten minutes of the movie. Right, and that was the B story. What the message really was trying to get across to us was his brother that has Down syndrome and how he's been affected What's by Down this. Syndrome? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. What, what was it? Um, they just say he's mentally he's, he's mentally handicapped. handicapped mentally handicapped enough to not fully understand how to control his anger in uh, social situations. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he um, he's mentally handicapped to the point to where that's what we're really trying to the message is trying to get across about how much of a victim he is in this world and everything surrounding it. But we really stick with the A story of Robert Pattinson, the brother, and how that affects him. Right. You know. So it's like yeah, now, we really don't see Nick 
first ten, um, first and last fifteen. Yeah, and it's like that's one of the things that we were taught going on. Like the movie is what the fir- the first ten minutes that you see of a movie. That's what we're going, and we went right back to that at the end of the movie. So I'm like, I wish I would have gotten a lot more of that, but I still get where you were going, which we're going for. Right. I think I think I get that idea of like the sort of for me the movie was more of a like, like trauma begets or besets. Is it begets trauma? Okay. Um, like so, like a traumatic experience and having traumatic people in your life and then being in traumatic situations yeah. oftentimes leads to more and more trauma. Mm. And it takes a really harsh break in the cycle, like going to therapy mm. or doing something like to like end that. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of what I was getting from the movie from the very beginning with mm. uh, the Nick's character yeah. and like how the grandmother abused both of them. Mm. And then when he first starts talking about the relationship with the grandmother, you realize that he's a very like disturbed person yeah. because of this grandmother. And then Nick comes rushes into the office and like you, I, I get it. Like this is dysfunctional families yeah. not allowing the people around them to be better. I couldn't. I didn't get. I could. I wanted more information on the grandmother if that was the case because like they had the uh, the brother. Like he said, he was mentally handicapped. And the, the very beginning of the movie, they um, he's doing like an analogy, this and this. He mm-hmm. was like, "How do you associate a um, a, a pen and scissors?" And he was like, "You can both. You can hurt yourself with both." Right. And then we later find out that he burned himself on a pan and then threw it at his grandmother and like broke her arm or hurt her arm really bad or something like that. So it's just. I'm not sure if it's just in his own head that he feels like he's being treated terribly because he, maybe his grandmother is just trying to give him structure and rules, right. saying you have to be in your room at this time, you have to do this, you have to do that. And the brother is saying, no, you can do whatever you want. You know, I'm going to be here for you. So it's like, I didn't know if the grandmother was a bad influence or if that was just the two people that were seeing their side of the story, really. Right. And I think that's that's intentional mm-hmm. for sure. Like, like we, I think he, they wanted us to present he wanted to present only the brother's story yeah. and not the grandmother's story because he wanted us to feel, I feel like if we knew the grandmother's story and like, had she been that abusive mm. and had she been, um, that person would have confirmed that, mm. then we would have had a little bit more sympathy, sympathy for Connie. Yes. And I feel like the movie is definitely telling you, no, no there's no should. sympathy for this yep. guy. He is a piece of shit. Yep. Um, so I think the decision to like stick with him. Mm really does a great job at portraying the tonality of the movie and then sort of giving you that look into the CD underground yeah. of like the crime world that he's involved in and yeah. what he dragged his brother into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm okay with that decision. Mm. I did want a little bit more B story yeah. where I, where I was wondering what was happening to, to Nick. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of this movie. Yeah. Right. And that's what, that's what I wanted more of. I wanted, I wanted a little break from the chaos, yeah. especially particularly in the middle. Cause there's a moment when like, so they do the bank robbery. Yep. Uh, Nick gets arrested yep. after he freaks out yep. and then um, gets beat up in jail. Mm-hmm. And this is like the chain of events. It's like yep. triggers um, Connie to do whatever he does. Mm-hmm. And after the mayhem of like trying to get uh, Jennifer, is it Jennifer, Jennifer Jason, Jason Lee? Lee? Yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee to pay for the bail. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. And yep. he needs more money. Yep. And he's just fucking doing this chaotic mess. He ends up in an apartment yep. uh, complex. Uh, in that scene, that apartment complex was just so extended. Mm. Like it was the longest bit where we were in one, in one place. place. Yeah. And I didn't particularly care about the guy he was with. Mm. And I didn't particularly care about what was happening emotionally in that scene. So I feel like just cut that in half, show me some of Benny. Yeah. And then fill that time length with Benny in mm. that particular scene. I yeah. feel it would have given me enough to like, because I, I, sometimes I just forgot that he was going to bail out his brother yeah 
Um, so like just a little bit of reminders and like those longer winded parts mm-hmm. would have been a little bit I think better I, th- that that whole scene was like and you're right it could have been cut in half or at least a little bit shorter I feel like they were just trying to even harp on even more about how much of a despicable character Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. is that, that he's not doing any of this for his brother at all he's doing this for himself right it's like get him himself out of the oh he might die in jail no he might tell on you and then they might come get you yeah. you know it's like he, everything that he does is for his own selfish motivated agenda and even in, when he's in that house, and he's like, oh, how old are you? 16? Yeah, I'm going to have sex with you. You yeah. know, it's just like even more just trying to show exactly like how like a, of a despicable, despicable character he is. And he cares about no one but himself. Yep. You know? No one but himself. And also, I think that like he's got this ability to manipulate people and mm. drag him into whatever he's doing. Yeah. Because he's not a he's not a smart guy. Not really. No, uh, not in terms of like book smart. Yeah. But he's very intuitive with yep. emotions and yep. like knows how to manipulate people yep. to like get what he wants. Yep. And that's his most despicable trait to me. Mm-hmm. Because he drags that little girl into this whole thing. Yep. He drags that African mom into the oh, whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Um his steals brother initially steals yep. her car, mm-hmm. um, tries to have sex with her daughter, her yep. sixteen year old daughter, daughter yeah. or yeah. granddaughter. Yeah. It was just fucking like there's no there's nothing about this character that is redeemable. Mm. Well, they, they try. They try to show a few things that that make it seem like he's not all the way terrible, terrible, terrible. Mm-hmm. But he is. It's like one one scene where uh, he's in the hospital and he goes into a open room. He thinks it's an open room, and there is a uh, old lady who looks like she's on her last breaths of life. Right. And um, he goes over, opens up her juice, and gives her some juice and drinks some for himself. And then it's it's kind of like. Maybe was he? Did he just want to drink the juice, and that's why he did it? You know, and it was like, well, I might as well give you some too. Kind of going on that maybe you know it's all not all about him, but they tried to give him a little humanity by her drinking that. Right. And another time they did that was um, when the girl is being uh, the the police are out there with the girl in front of the Adventureland or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. and he's wearing the security. It was like, oh, is this the other person? This girl right here. This is like, oh no, she has nothing to do with it. So just trying to show some kind of humanity in him, yeah. but he's so far gone that even those small things can't redeem him. They really can't, and like that's why I love. So my favorite part about this movie is really Robert Pattinson's character because he's such an asshole. Can can I sing some praises for Robert, Robert Pattinson? He's so good because he's... I remember when Jonathan came over here and he was talking about how Robert Pattinson is a good a good actor, and I said, "No, fuck you, you're wrong." Because <laughs> I've seen Robert Pattinson's work, I've seen no. him in uh, in Twilight, Man. I've seen all those Twilights, and I'm like, "No, you're a good like." actor for kids like sure and teens and tweens sure like I put him in the same boat as a um, a Zac Efron like no knocking on these people like you're able to service a particular community but I don't know if you'll be able to like act for an adult you know for adults and maybe Zac Efron will we'll see that very very soon oh, he's got the Ted thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm still skeptical but you know whatever on that but Robert Pattinson I was talking all cash shit that he's not a good actor this movie right here proved me 100% otherwise yeah he's fantastic Robert Pattinson is a very good actor and I think we'll be seeing him you know in a lot of good things in the, in the near future very I, good I, I think so too and famously he hates the Twilight movies well, yeah. <laughs> 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 he fucking hates them yeah. Um, but like, yeah, Robert Pattinson's character and Robert Pattinson's performance mm. are my favorite thing yes. about the movie, yeah. particularly because, and, and this comes along with the writing as well, mm. where it's just like they have this really just a piece of shite character, mm. but the nuances in his character give you room that he may improve Maybe, yeah. and that he may get better by the end of the film. Yeah. And I, this is what I love about, I think, modern filmmaking nowadays lately is that we take an expectation yeah. and nine times out of 10, 
the crowd leaves without that expectation being fulfilled. Yeah. Star Wars, we expected a particular ending or we expected a particular movie and yep. Rian Johnson just went like, ah, go fuck no, yourself. No. Yep. Uh, in this movie, you expect Robert Patterson to have some sort of redemption because uh. um, he did so much fucked up shit in one night mm. and it all catches up back to him and yep. how he's like fucked up his brother's life yep. by doing so. Yeah. And you expect that there's some kind of redemption okay. and there's some scenes where like, they really want to set up the fact that he's feeling guilty about something, like when he was in Adventureland. Yeah. And then he heard the honk uh, while he was in the security room mm. and all that. They set that up to make it look like it's the girl honking the car in her horn. Yeah. And he's like feeling guilty about leaving her behind. Mm -hmm. But then it turns out it was the cops. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of nuance in his character. Even even in that, that same little or 15 minutes or so, mm -hmm. when his not even friend, but um, a guy that he's Just with you know, yeah. on the run from the law, <laughs> that guy that he's with, he's he's locked up inside of the um, the security office and Robert Pattinson comes back for him and, and cuts him free. Like he could have just left at right. that point. Which That's I expected it. him to do. Me too. Yeah, it was like, well, you don't have to go back and save that guy. So they have little small things that show that he has a little humanity. But throughout the movie, I didn't think there was a chance for redemption. I thought that he was going to maybe die in an effort to do yeah. something good and that kind of redemption maybe. Right. Yeah. And what I what I really liked about him as a character as well is that like those like he has an appreciation for the people that are oppressed, yeah. abused, yep. are unable to take care of themselves. Yes. Like that is definitely a thing that that character has. It reflects on the brother, reflects mm. on the old lady, and it reflects on this guy. That's handcuffed. That's handcuffed. Mm. So he's got an idea that like people that cannot help themselves um, are people that should not suffer at the hands of others. So mm -hmm. he has that compassionate element. He has a whole speech about that that makes a lot of sense now. It yeah. just seems super negative at the time when he was talking about, I'm, you think you're better than me? I am better than you. Right. And then he just goes on and explains, it was like, people like you, you can't do anything for yourself, you don't contribute to society, yada, yada, yada. So it's like those, it's like he has that kind of narcissistic mind to where if he sees himself as better than you, then it's like he can offer you a handout. Right. But it's just like, it's so narcissistic. You know, it's just like, I'm and, better than you. And that's the interesting thing thing yeah. about that trait that yeah. it's shrouded in that narcissism mm -hmm. um so something that would be a positive immediately becomes a negative because yeah. it's shrouded in it being about himself yep. so like you have nothing to offer me yep. so this is me being a showerable person yep. and and it be he becomes so much more of an asshole yep. because of that trait yeah. than without it that it's just kind of like i just have to admire that writing decision to like give him that character trait yeah, because it makes him feel like a person that exists. Yes. He's just not an asshole. He's nope. not just a compassionate person. Nope. He's an asshole that has compassion. He's layered. Moments. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's had, they, they show the humanity in him like good and bad. Right. Yeah. And I found that very interesting in a movie where we're just seeing him go on a rampage of crimes. Yeah. Um, because at some point in the movie, you really do start believing that he's doing it with the aim to help his brother. Mm. Um, but then at, after that halfway point, you're just like, oh, no, this is not about the brother. No. <laughs> this is all about him. Yeah. Um, and so, like, the, but the sequence of the, the movie for me, the sequence of events in the movie seem so fucking weird mm. um, because they, they, so they steal the money. They get the paint spread on them yeah. the thing which like when you talk about bro patents is not a smart person like yeah bro like you're definitely not smart you thought right. she was going to walk up in the bank she gave you the money she gave you the clean money in the bag and then he's like writes down on there oh before i get to that this is one of my favorite cold openings of a movie ever oh, uh, yeah yeah go ahead you know the, like of, of uh, the cold opening love because the, the movie just starts 
bang, close up on Nick. He's just sitting there. It's a guy that's mentally handicapped, and you can tell just by his mannerisms, mannerisms and the way that he's talking. And he's just getting these questions over and over, and we're not moving from this guy's face too often. No. And then just every answer. It's a very slow dolly out. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually we just get to see a small tear come. Like he's, his facial expression doesn't change, like nothing, but just gets you inside of the brain of this person and just watching him tear up and the therapist like not reactionary to that whatsoever mm -hmm. you know and then that's when that, that setup of maybe he does care about the brother and love the brother you know he just like when he breaks in he's like how would you feel if somebody made you cry yeah right. so it's like it makes you feel like he is like being empathetic toward the brother at the very beginning but like i said that the cold opening i loved and then juxtapose that to immediate the next thing we see after that cold opening is them in like a blackface mask at a bank we don't even know who these people are you know it's just they're in construction suits and covered up we don't know who they are we just went from uh, you know these two guys and now we're at a bank and um you you automatically can identify the brother because the way that he speaks right you know? that's how i noticed too like it yep. wasn't just like what the fuck are these two people yep. and it's just like the, oh it's the guys yeah yeah so it's like I, I love that there's like there's not too many cold openings that i can get with but this right here like you set me up with what the movie is and then you threw me into that thing head first and it didn't stop like it was just a runaway train from that point at the bank robbery until the guy falls off the the, the, the balcony yeah. yeah that is like an hour and 25 minutes of like just what the fuck yeah all the time. And that's this is one of my favorite cold openings too. Because yeah. it does two things that I really love in cinema. Mm. Which is it sets up that the movie's gonna be about one character mm. and then it does a bait and switch and then yep. the movie's about another character. Yep. I fucking love that. Me too. I don't know why I do, but I fucking love it. Mm. Um and especially when it's done in a cinematically interesting way. Yeah. So like we had that really drawn out dolly. It was mm. one take, yeah. really. And then there's not a cut from the door from Nick breaking in. Nope, no, I mean, Connie breaking in. Mm. It's it's a pan. Yep. It's a single shot pan. Yep. And I, I don't think the first cut happens until like seven minutes into the film. Mm. And I just absolutely fucking love that. Me too. It just makes me feel really good because it looks cinematically interesting. Yep. There's this element, uh, I've been noticing color grading in movies a lot more. Yep. And there's this element where like this movie's color grade is really fascinating to me because it's got a lot of grain. Yeah. Um, a lot of film grain that I don't know if it's natural or if it's mm. digitally imposed. Okay. I just can't tell. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it helps with the aesthetic of making it just feel dirty and grimy yeah. and doing all of that. And from the very beginning, nothing feels clean despite the clinical environment that yeah. they're in. And it's partly because of that color grade. It's like a hallucinogenic, like neon type of take on almost everywhere. Even when they go into the, uh, the grandmother's house, mm -hmm. like the colors are the reds and the blues. When they go into... Um, what was another like high? Oh, and the Adventure Land. Yeah. When they go in, there is just like you can black tell. Light. Yeah, black light. Everything's like yeah, yeah. This is very purposeful with these these colors and how gritty it is. And the city of New York is like you couldn't do this. That you can't you can't have this exact same script and shoot it in Charlotte. No, like, it does not going to have the same like feel to it. You need that grime. You yeah. need that filth of oh, yeah. like New York City's yep. like underbelly. Oh yeah, you know you need that. Yeah. And and like the grade was such a huge help in mm. addition to that yeah. because that film grain you can't see it a lot in the dark shots, mm. um, but I, I like the fact that they put it in the very white clean clinical shot opening mm. shot, and then that was the aesthetic that pertained because yep. you really noticed it, it in that opening shot, yeah. and then it was just always in the back of my mind. It's just like this feels dirty, mm -hmm. and I don't know. I don't really. It's subconscious. Like yeah. if I wasn't a film guy interested yeah. in color grading specifically, yeah. I don't think I would notice that mm. that's what made it feel as dirty as it was. Yeah. But the colors were modeled, even the bright. Um, what would normally be like super saturated neons yeah. 
are a little bit unsaturated. Mm. They have just like a hint of desaturation on them. Yeah. And like the walls are dirty. Every environment that he goes to is like dirty, dirty and grimy. unclean. Yeah. And he looks dirty and yep. unclean. And everyone around him does too. And yeah. that's such a nice fucking touch yeah. to making your world feel, consi- feel consistent. There was, yeah, speaking of consistency, mm-hmm. there was something that was super consistent through from like as soon as the train starts, the runway train starts to the end is like a super like claustrophobic energy that's happening from the opening shot. Like you're just up on somebody. And this is thing that we, or I know I've had a problem with, and we've talked about a few times when you don't have like a back and forth of when something is just so loud all the time and you don't yep. give it a chance to be quiet that that loudness doesn't mean anything as much and the same thing with uh, with these shots when you have so many closes so many close-ups then it takes away but with this movie all these close-ups and this creating this claustrophobic energy that you just can't get away from for a full hour is is very purposeful and it works yeah they you use know? it very well yeah yeah and th- that's one of those because I felt the same way and we talked about something similar that Derek Sian France does for Way oh. Beyond the Pines yep. and Blue Valentine yeah uh, and it's that that element of like sticking the camera in someone's face and just not pulling away yeah. um, really makes you sit with that conversation and sit inside of that conversation yep. cinematographically. Yep. Uh, and I think that Good Time does a fantastic job at like you never really get a clear view of the environment. No. Um, you only get an establishing wide and that wide is only a couple of seconds long at a time. Yep. Uh, and you get the the biggest shot size when two characters are talking mm. is a it's a medium two shot. Yeah. That is the biggest shot size. And that happens when the girl is when he's making out with a sixteen year old girl. Okay. Is yeah. that when that shot happens. Okay. And that and I like I'm convinced that, that shot was pulled far so that you can see it's like, no, no, this is actually happening. Mm. Like this isn't like we don't want to hide the fact that it's happening. Yeah. Um, so the close-ups have that energy where like everything is just like fucking dang, 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 yes. dang, dang. Yeah. but they don't get as overwhelming as they could be mm. because um, this directors they their wides are very object oriented so they, they use establishing wides really yeah. nicely yeah. and they use it to separate locations yes so that we know that we're moving from like this particular place to this other far more interesting place. Like, and when, trans- go like when we get on the bus from the hospital into the, the apartment that he ultimately ends in. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and like the transition, they, they do it twice or three times. The transition is he gets on a vehicle mm-hmm. and then we see the vehicle from close mm-hmm. and then we see a pullback as the vehicle drives on the highway mm-hmm. and then we land in the other location Yeah. and then we push in into the other location. That's the rhythm of the transition. Mm-hmm. And I love that transition so much because it feels very... The, first of all, the zoom is definitely a digital zoom. Mm. It's not a camera no. zoom. Um, so it has this impression of like being just the absolute cleanest and most and precise Dirtiest, zoom. grimiest. <laughs> ah, so <laughs> good. Yeah. Like everything looks fucked up and dark and messed up, but mm. that camera movement is just so clinical mm-hmm. and clean and precise. Yeah. And that visual juxtaposition, I think, adds a lot to those transitions yeah. and gives us a reset from all of the claustrophobic that is- chaos that was there. Yeah. And that transition is maybe 15, 20 seconds, mm. but it's enough time yeah. that we can breathe. Just a little break, a little palate cleanser for, right. for a moment, yeah. Uh, we can breathe and then we get into the other set of claustrophobic scenes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. It? it reminds me of David Fincher's Zodiac a lot. Okay. Um, the only the differences that I would say is that in Good Time, it's a lot more, there's an element of uncleanliness to it. Mm. And David Fincher is very clean yes. oh, yeah. with those movements. Yeah. Um, but it, 
you know, David Fincher is one of the most amazing working directors out there. Oh, and yeah. if you get a transition that remotely looks like a David Fincher yeah, you're movie, doing something right. you're doing yeah. something that's really fucking remarkable. Yeah. And I love that because for me, the movie takes place in three places mm. and it's always cut by a transition. Yeah. And the last transition is when we see the, the balcony happening. That, that zoom was fucking fantastic. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. And like, that was like a, just a nice bookmark at the end. What, wow. I, what I love so much about that, even mm-hmm. besides like seeing a man fall like seven stories or whatever to mm-hmm. his death, what I loved about that is we first see the guy like climbing off the balcony and then like hanging there. And then we see Robert Pattinson, hands behind his back, in cuffs, and two police officers about to push his head down and put him inside the back of a car. Right. But then all of them look back to see the guy and everything stops. Like Robert Pattinson gets to stay there and see it. The police get to stay there. Everybody just stops and then watches it happens. And then after it happens, then they put Pattinson inside the car. Man. I was like, I just love that everybody stopped, experienced it, and then like let Robert Pattinson get in the car knowing the consequences of everything that he's been doing so far. And oh, another thing with the um, the small amount of, of goodness in him mm-hmm. that uh, with, the, with the girl that he had, the 16-year-old girl, they, this is very purposeful because they did a, a zoom in on this or a close-up of this while mm-hmm. he's giving her the money. So earlier on when uh, he gets the money and a lot of it's dirty and he goes to the uh, the guy and he was like, well, I can use this amount, but uh, you need $10,000 more because this money right here is too dirty. Like I can't right. do anything with it. So Pattinson takes the rest of the dirty money and then when they end up going to um, – to White Castle, yeah. he go, end up going to White Castle, he pulls out his money, and you can see a red-ass $20 bill, I believe it was, red as fuck, like all around the edges, and yeah. he gives it to her to pay for the food, sends her in, because he's not about to go in and spend this dirty, fucked-up money. He's right. going to give it to her. So the same person that was willing to sacrifice her is trying to save her later on. It's just like, he he just has that 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 yin and yang. He has both. It's so right. bad. And, and, but I think that, like, the interesting thing about that yin yang is that it's only present when it benefits him. When it benefits you him. Know? Yep. Like he's willing to be the nice guy mm-hmm. when it's good for him. Mm-hmm. And like that's the blend of narcissism and compassion that I think is such interesting about his character. Yeah. Because he's such a dick. Yeah. But you're just like, maybe he's kind of good. Maybe. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and like you can tell that like his relationships are all abusive in some way. Yeah. Um, because those are like absolutely trademarks of an abusive relationship. Yep. And like they say his grandmother was abusive. Mm. Maybe he was a toxic one. Maybe the grandmother was a toxic one. Yeah. We didn't really know. Mm. But I, it doesn't really matter mm. for the story. But I like that we have that inclination yeah. that's happening. Yeah. Um, I think the, I think the way the movie worked out because everything happens because he kidnaps the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> at a hospital. Yeah. Which is like just a hilarious mix-up. To, like it's a very cartoonish mix-up to have. Very happen. much. Yeah. And the guy wakes up and it's just like, oh wait, that doesn't sound like the brother. Yeah. That guy is definitely not the... Definitely oh, wait, not. what the fuck is happening? He yeah. just kidnapped another dude. Where's the brother? What's yeah. going on with him? And so, like, that kickstarts the entire events of the film. Yeah. And when the when this guy, the fuck, I don't know his name, the this other guy wakes up in the apartment yep. and they realize that they have to stick it out together because neither other wants to go to jail because yeah. he's got parole. Yep. This guy doesn't want to go to jail. Yep. And then just everything, but everything leading up to that and everything after that, mm-hmm. as unrealistic as it seems, feels like such an adequate reaction mm. to what's happening like the world feels like this could happen yeah um but the situation is ridiculous like the guy manages to like kidnap a guy from a hospital yeah in front of a cop in front of six floors of yep. elevator yep. in front of a security guard at the front desk yep. gets on a bus convinces the bus who has to have clearance to drop people off yep 
to drive him to an unnamed location so then he can wheel back to the apartment and manipulate that of the lady. You know, but like you said, it does seem even as ridiculous as it is, it's like I'm even justifying these things as I'm watching it. It was like, oh, he has someone in a hospital that's in a wheelchair. You're like, nobody's paying him attention to that. Like same when he's going through past security. Security just sees a normal everyday thing. It's a white guy with another white guy on a wheelchair just in and out. It's like it's not a big deal to him. And then the same thing of getting on the bus. It was like a wheelchair guy. There's another wheelchair guy. Like, oh, that seems reasonable. It's Mm -hmm. not just some, you know, a 30-year-old or whatever by himself like, hey, can I get on the bus? You know, so it's like it's super ridiculous but at the same time like, okay, that could maybe happen. My biggest thing of this would never happen was the... um, so he sees the black lady on the bus and uh, when, with his brother and then he goes to her apartment mm-hmm. and then she lets him in, the stranger in. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's, I, I don't think this happens just ever at all, mm-hmm. but it does. And I'm look past that. But then this is the part that does not happen. Will never happen. She offers the room. <laughs> even, even, even past that, you know, even yeah. past that, I will be, I'm still okay, maybe she thought she could make a little money off this at some point, or maybe just her humanity, you know, because she was like, what time, how long does your mother have to work? I'm a mother myself, I understand, you know, I'll help you out. You know, that, like, maybe that can happen, but what doesn't happen, because they give a clear indication how much, like, she cares about her granddaughter, Mm -hmm. and when she talked to her granddaughter, she was like, yeah, he's going to be staying with us a little while, yada, yada, she's like, hey, put your phone down, don't look at your phone while you're talking to me, you look me in the eyes, you know, and she was like, she's trying to instill some type of values in her her granddaughter, so, you know, she cares about her granddaughter, but then at the very same moment she's like alright well I'm about to take these sleeping pills and I'm about to be asleep for a long time have fun with this stranger in the house yeah. <laughs> you know it's like That's that fun. part that part I'm just like uh, like letting him in the house giving him a room like all mm-hmm. that probably not gonna happen but leaving your 16 year old daughter in the house with a stranger while you've drugged yourself <laughs> to not be <laughs> yeah it's like that's not no that's not happening and, no. and like fuck I it just really shows how, like, everyone... And I think that's why he became affectionate towards the 16-year-old girl, mm-hmm. because he re- he acknowledged the behavior of that grandmother mm-hmm. to the girl mm-hmm. seemed mirrored from his own grandmother mm-hmm. with him and Nick. Okay. So I think that's why that was there, because it was a setup to, like, the element of humanity, introduce him into Robert Pattinson's character. Okay. Because the way he reacted to that scene... Yeah he immediately removed himself for it. It triggered something in him. Mm. And I think that that was like to mirror how a child can become abused by a person that thinks that they care about the person. Yeah. And, and I like, I like that moment. I don't think it'll happen. I had a gripe with it too. It was weird. Um, like but it served the purpose yeah. of like establishing that information. It, it, it was very convenient writing is yeah. what that was. Cause I'm just like, I, I don't know much about any other cultures or white, Asian, anything, but I know about black culture. I know about black people. <laughs> not gonna and it's like a grandmother is not leaving a 16 year old child in the house with a stranger as she drugs herself to go to sleep would nope. never happen. Nope. So it's like that part in this, the, the writing just felt like a convenient thing in order to make the, the, the patch things together and for the story to flow. But I think that was my only like real, like that's these things are not super feasible but okay this part I'm like okay nah <laughs> you know what part made me go like alright fucking cool it is yeah. when they were in Adventureland okay. the security guard finds them out yep um, Robert Pattinson punches the security guard in conscience yeah and then when the police come, dresses up as a security guard. And he's his face is all fucked up too, both yeah. of them? Okay, I'm sorry. Like his, yeah, no, that's right. His face is fucked up. Yep. The guy has a fucking, like he's bleeding out of his goddamn mouth on yep. the floor. Yep. Clearly high in acid mm-hmm. that is spilled on his face. Mm-hmm. And then like, and then the other couples are just like, hey, is he okay? Like, hey, you're not going to ask for ID? You're not going to 
they're gonna make sure that this is the guy that works here. You, you know, it's and, like, and like there was a racial element too that, that I think was like yes. very well portrayed. There's, there's a black guy right here strung out on drugs. It's like yeah. he was just here beat up, and I just found him like that. And I'm the white guy with that's an authority figure. Right. But the fact that yeah, the the racial element, I guess that would be the reason they wouldn't they would overlook that a guy his face is completely beaten in, and there's a, another guy whose face is completely beaten in, and you say you had no interaction with him at all. Right. Yeah. None? <laughs> Are you serious? Just they're getting like a bar fight before coming to work, my guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was the part that like really pushed the boundaries of what the word person's character can do for me. Yeah, because he's so good at manipulating people. But I, it's just one of those ones where it's just like there's no way you can get away with that. Not like yet. there's just no fucking way. I agree. There are six security guards in there, yep. and none of them ask you who you are. Yep. And then they ask you, hey, is this the girl that was there? Okay. Hey, no ID, my guy. <laughs> no ID. Nope. Fucking New York cops suck. You don't see this black uh, toboggan I have on. It says security on the top. Yeah. Like it says security. All the security, ID yeah. you need, bro. Yeah. All the, the cigarette, the beat up face, the mm-hmm. looking like I, you know, like I did meth for three days before yep. coming over to here. Yep. Nah, it's fine. That's you got cool. the hat. Yeah. It's everyday <laughs> New York guy working. That's it. Um, however, that being said, that Adventureland sequence was my least favorite part of the movie. Okay. Um, but it was compelling, thrilling. It was shot interestingly, mm-hmm. and it looked stressful, and it conveyed what I wanted to convey. Yeah. But it leads into my favorite part of the movie, mm. which is the apartment scene mm. and, and the security guard's apartment. Yeah. Um, because I think it was just like shot so interestingly and it led to so many like realistic turns of conflict yeah. that would ha- actually happen. Mm. And then it led into my favorite shot, which is when the guy that he kidnapped from the hospital, hospital. is looking down and he sees them getting chased by a bunch of cops. Yep. And it's just this like really cool wide, sh- it's like overhead wide shot. Yeah. And Robert Pattinson gets caught and chased in that one shot. Yeah, like he's and running then, through a maze. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you see the bottle of Sprite filled with acid, like, yep. land in a spot. Yeah. And it's just so it's so visually interesting. And I like that it wasn't a foot chase that we were with Robert Pattinson. And it was nope. all shaky and fucked up. Yeah. And it was just like, because we knew, we knew he wasn't going to get away no. at that point. Mm-hmm. And I like that the choice to make it look interesting instead of tense was yeah. made. And I appreciated that. And that's my favorite shot in the entire film. Hey, okay. Um, fucking love that shit. I yeah. could eat that shit up all fucking day. No, it was nice. Yeah. The, the, um, this is another uh, production of A24. Oh, really? Is that what it is? Yes. Like, I was like, whoa. Like, Because I'm like, I haven't seen anything from A24 that I was like, nah, that's trash. They had, yeah, they had a, the only thing that has even come close to that for me was like a Willem Dafoe movie that they had. I don't know if I've seen that That one. I wasn't particularly interested in. And I'm not even sure it was A24. It okay. just felt like an A24 movie. Yeah. And like, but like any A24, just slap a label and everything. He's like, I'll fucking, oh, it's A24? Cool. Yep. Don't tell me anything else. I'll no, go watch it. I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. so fucking good. You know, as as someone who's like, who's experimented with LSD acid before, yeah. when they had the pure liquid acid and they just like poured down like three I gulps. Like, that guy's not okay. Like I was looking online. I'm like, what the fuck is about to happen to this guy? I also did. <laughs> That's so good. Can you overdose from LSD? You can't die, I guess, you know, but it's You get like, panic attacks and anxiety and like, just you get, you get fucked up. Yeah, so. and I like his response to it to where it's like he couldn't even, he couldn't understand what he was seeing and he couldn't even, like his motor functions were so fucked up, he couldn't even speak anymore. I thought he was speaking his like- Somalian, yeah. So, yeah, Somalian, yeah. yeah. It's like, fuck me. Yeah, it's like, like he couldn't even, like he was speaking perfectly, well, he was speaking English before, yeah. not perfectly, but he was speaking it, you know, before, but then he was, he was so jacked up on that damn acid to where like he's looking at monsters and I can't even imagine like you're in a black like with black lights and glowing neon colors as he's just seeing monsters and everything man I'm just yeah, like that's at oh. least like a month of therapy Whew. yeah it's a fucked up situation to yeah. be in. and but and but also that's like 
the fucked up situations like that are what make this movie like really visceral. Like they mm. don't hold back. No. And like a lot of movies, like they try to downplay the violence or mm. downplay the like the the taboo like subjects that they do. Like yeah. the language that Robert Pattinson uses is language that is like none of us mm. can really use mm. nowadays. Um, in terms of like like it's been deemed offensive, it's like not appropriate anymore, and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but then the fact that these are the kind of characters that would still continue to use that language yep. uh, because they live in the underground. They don't care. They're not as educated as yep. the people that would not use that language. Yep. And the fact that the language is still present mm-hmm. in that just just nails that like realism factor. Yeah. Um, and I really, really love that uh, mm-hmm. because like that language sure is apprehensible, but I think that when in art, it's got a place to be used. And I think that... In situations like this movie, the way this movie uses it, it's mm-hmm. very appropriate because it. There was yeah. a uh, like my, my shining example of that that I go to every time for reference is Reservoir Dogs. When you have the right. white guys inside of a car saying "nigger," it's like I'm not offended by that because that is realistic to the situation of what would generally be happening. Right. The same as in this movie here with Robert Pattinson and the way that people speak around there, like this isn't okay, but this is a truth for them. Right, it's yeah. a normal, it's normalized in how they interact with the world. Yeah. Yeah. And you're watching a movie about how they interact with the world, yeah. so if that's not there. Mm-hmm you're just watering down yep. the reality of the film, yeah. which I love that uh, this guy did not do that. Yeah, it's fucking, oh, fucking great. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know how I feel about this movie in terms of how much I like it, mm. but I love how it was executed Yes, as well. It's like, and similar, because I hate close-ups. Mm. Uh, they just make me uncomfortable mm. generally, especially in conversations. Yeah. And the close-ups in this camera like move really, they dart around all over the place. Mm. And then you're never looking like at a person's face for too long before yeah. the camera just goes like, ah, it sneaks into the other guy. Yeah. It's hectic and it's frantic and it's anxiety inducing mm-hmm. and it's kind of terrifying, but it looks fucking gorgeous. Yeah. God damn. It's a good, yeah, it's good. God damn. Yeah. The editing was also very fucking good. Yes. I agree um, and like the lighting was just phenomenal. Yeah. Everything was good. About it this was. One. How do you yeah. feel? How would you rate it? Um, this would be an eight out of 10 for me. And I wanted to rate this a lot higher, but the things that I took off were, um, like the misusage of Jennifer Jason Lee, like one of the best actors we we have. Yeah. And they just misuse her completely. They just had her being an erratic, you know, craze, uh, mama's girl, basically, you know, and for five minutes of the movie, basically. So, um, I didn't like the misuse of her or an underuse of her. And I would have liked a little more of what would have been the B story, the, what the movie was about and the brother, like we completely abandon the brother and what's going on with him for 90% of the movie. Right. So I would have liked to seen a little bit more of that, but um, out of 10, I'm, it's still an eight for me. I, it's, it's, it's not a movie that just like last week, it's like, these aren't con- the kinds of movies that you watch and be like, yeah, I feel good about this. I, I, <laughs> right. I like, I like this because you can't like watching like a terrible character go down the hole and become worse. Right. You know? So but it's just like it's a very well made movie. It could have been made a little better, but I want to see what Josh and Benny Safty. Oh, I didn't even say Benny Safty, he is a director on this and played um the the, played the Nick. He played Nick. No. Man, he did an awesome job. He did. You he know sure he, fucking did. Yeah and I, I cried at the end of this movie. At the very end oh, really? yeah, yeah when uh, the, the cross the room part yeah. when um when he and, and he's just not responsive to anything. So I'm like does he understand you know what she's saying in the crossing the room like cross the room if you like candy cross the room this and he's not moving 
and then it finally gets to the cross the room if you've ever been blamed for something that wasn't your fault or if your family has ever made you do things like you, you know things right. like if you don't get along with your family yeah it was the, the first one that he moved into yeah, yeah. and i was like oh Fuck. like that got me when he started crossing the room back and forth and the um i forget what it's called in movies to where um when a character in the movie says the title line of the movie i forgot what it's called too, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's called something but it's like right there at the end where the therapist he walks him in there's like yeah you this place you have a good time <laughs> you know and i i was walking in i was going to walk into this movie but like yeah the movie is titled good time but ironically it's anything but that's just like this movie is like i'm straight up not happy this time, bro. <laughs> yep. like i am not <laughs> yeah. but yeah if, I, if i'm giving it a rating yeah, i'm giving it an eight out of ten and i would definitely like look to see more movies from these guys i think so too i don't know if they've made anything else uh like not- before this or I don't think after, um, but I'm intrigued in their career because goddamn, this shit looked fucking gorgeous. Yeah, um, and that's more than it. That's like my my highest praise for the film. Mm. I think it looks absolutely delightful. And the acting, like the, they the acting, they yeah. took Robert Pattinson from being a a household name to being a legitimate actor. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, a lot of that credit goes to the, Robert Pattinson for actually putting in time on the craft, but they delivered him amazingly in a better way than anyone has ever been able to do so far as far as the performance. So I got to give him credit for that. Yeah, I agree. I think my rating for this movie is, is it's 7.5. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the movie looked amazing and I oh, think yeah. that the acting was absolutely phenomenal yeah. from pretty much everybody involved. Yeah. I don't think that was a bad performance. No. Um, but the, I would have liked to see that B story a little bit more. Yeah. There are some scenes that dragged on a little too long. Yep. Um, the Adventureland scene for me was just like ah, 10 minutes too long. Mm-hmm. The scene in the apartment was just like 10 to 15 minutes just too mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Um, the lows in the movie would have been better used as cutting to the B story. Yeah. And then I we would have had that. a more efficient storytelling, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, the, I think the editing was really good, but it was nothing like just like out no, there. No, no, no. Um, but what I really, really fucking love about this movie is Robert Pattinson as an actor. Mm-hmm. Benny Safdie as a director and actor and that gorgeous cinematography Mm -hmm. because it just looked fucking fantastic. And like zooms for me, like I fucking love zooms. And if you nail a zoom in a film, I am like on that dick. And this movie nailed it and I fucking loved it. Um, So 7.5, mostly because of cinematography and performance for me. Um, And that's good time. That is. Which was ironically... The opposite of a good time. Very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was quite sad, depressing, and anxiety inducing. Yes. But goddamn, is it a good looking film? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a, it's, yeah. It's, it's a very well made film. Definitely. Anything else you want to add? Nah. But so we're going to cut and then we're going to talk about television and movie premieres. Yeah. watching that and i hated I, I, don't, I don't think there's many i was thinking about this last night i was watching a goofy movie I and love that movie. It's, I, so good. it's one of my favorites and i was like if i had to make a list of my favorite movies ever and the movies i consider the best movies ever it's totally a different list. completely different list you mm-hmm. know and it was like movies like this like movies that i like or movies that you know like uh the goofy movie i like that movie a lot the movie wally i like that movie a lot right. i like movies that make me feel good that are fun or or scarface that doesn't make me feel good but i like that movie yeah. but if it's never going in my top 10 best movies ever right so it's like it's just kind of two different worlds i guess it's, you know? a, it's so weird because mm-hmm. like there's some crossover in those two lists for me like mm-hmm. pretty much anything that edgar wright's makes mm-hmm. 
is in those two. In Bruges would be something yeah. like that for me. Like you right. put me on that. Like that goes Something in one of the great. best, my favorite movies and best. <sighs> so good. Yeah. Um, there's like a couple of movies that cross over, but other than that, maybe two or three. There's just like things that make you feel good and you enjoy yourself, and things that are just like just gorgeously executed. Yeah. And like, well done, are just so fucking different. Yeah. Like, I love The Graduate. That's a great film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking watching it, <laughs> I had an, I almost had an anxiety attack watching mm. that fucking movie. Yeah, it's just ah. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> love that shit. Um, all right, you ready? Yeah. And welcome back. Television and movie premieres. All right, uh, television and movie premieres for the week of. I didn't write the weeks down this time. Sorry. Before you get started, mm-hmm. I just remembered. I yeah. did went to the cinema again. Okay. And I fucking saw Glass, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. What's the name of it? Glass. Oh, Glass. That's out Glass. already? It was been out for, it's been out in, since like February 19th. That had to have flopped hard then. It sucked so bad. Mm. It was so bad. It was awful. And it, it, was, it wasn't awful because it was an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. It was awful because it was a lazy fucking movie. Oh. You know, which at this point might be an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> uh, but it's just so fucking atrociously, like, not interesting, just fucking boring characters. Yeah. With, like, these people are supposed to, like, be, like, the real life definition of a superhero. Like, what would superheroes look like in real life? Yeah. They, they don't do anything amazing. You know, they don't do anything that would classify them as, like... I can't knock the movie for that part yeah. because did you, did you see the, um, the original Unbreakable with um with Bruce Willis and um Samuel Jackson like the first one of no, the three I haven't. like that's those those that's that, a great movie yes. like that that is a like a critically acclaimed movie yes but like there's there's superheroes yeah. in that but they don't do superhero stuff right but yeah. in this movie the plot of the movie is that uh Mr. Glass mm-hmm. wants to out to the world that there are superheroes okay and he records them using the camera security footage system and then leaks the footage of the superheroes existing yeah uh which doesn't work in this film because nothing looks particularly super powered. Mm. Like the biggest feat of strength that Bruce Willis does is knock a metal door out of its hinges. Yeah. You know? So like for the plot of the movie, like an unbreakable, he survived the fucking most dramatic train crash that happened. Yes. And like, they were like, all right, well he's got, he's got fucking something going on. Yeah. But in in this movie, the most that happens is that he beats a door down uh. and then like bends a metal bar and so, like, they try to sell it. The movie tries to sell it. So it's like, this proves that superheroes are real. Uh, but then it doesn't look superhero-y enough okay. to validate the hype that Mr. Glass wanted it to have. Yeah. And it's just, like, it just looks totally bland and mm. boring and, like, too clean and lacy. Like, yeah. there's one moment where, like, James McAvoy, who's amazing. Yes. I love James McAvoy. Uh, he turns into the Beast. Yep. And he... Dr- <laughs> He like tells he's told to kill two security guards, right. and instead of like doing anything interesting with James McAvoy as the beast, mm-hmm. he drags them behind a cop car, and then that's it. That's the shot. Uh, they just die. Okay. And it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? You have like I know you're not working in a horribly tight like on a massive budget. That's what I was thinking. Maybe they didn't have the budget for this. But but you had the budget to do to shoot underwater. You had the budget mm. to like. Do get this massive hospital and like gorgeous scenery. Yeah. You have the budget to like shut down a street in NYC, yeah. but you don't have the budget to like do. You don't even need a big budget for that. You just need a couple like claw marks and and like blood yeah. and just chaotic cutting. You know, but it just got pushed down. And it's just so lazy. Here's here's some things that M Night Shyamalan has never been and will never be known for: um, cinematography. 
editing. That's true. You know, like the only the only reason he's in here is because he had some good writing. Yeah. You know, all of it has been writing and these twists like a uh, Sixth Sense. You don't watch Sixth Sense and be like, wow, the cinematography and this, wow, the editing and this. But the wow, story the, is really fucking the good. The story is great, but like nobody's looking at the directorial choices and things like that. It's just like, whoa, you're able to write uh, some good stories with a twist on them. Mm-hmm. You know, all of his stuff has been that a decent enough story with a good twist. And, and the twist in this movie was fucking bullshit, I too. I bet. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan yeah. is not the cinematography guy. No. Nope. It's not the editing guy. No. He's the guy that writes sometimes okay stories <laughs> yep. that have a really good twist. Yep. And like I like I respect him as because he's a hardworking person. Yeah. Like he works in the field and he works hard for these films. Yeah. But he he's he's just getting lazy. Like Unbreakable was interesting. Mm. It was a great premise. Yeah. Samuel O. Jackson's character and Bruce Willis' character was fucking interesting. Yeah. Uh, fucking um, Six Sense. Sense was yeah. interesting. Yeah. Signs was interesting. Yeah. Uh, but anything after the village, he's just kind of like, well, I'm the twist guy now, so yeah. I have to be the twist guy. Yep. And it's just like, shut the fuck up, write a movie that you want to write. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a um, there, there was two movies that really, really, really stunk it up. That I actually, I had the I think un- Lady and Water was one of them. That I, that's that I wasn't even super pissed about that. <laughs> I, I was super pissed about um, uh, the Airbender movie. I seen that in theaters. I, oh, I hated that. And I also seen After Earth. Oh, that was Shyamalan. They even took his name over that yep. poster. That's <laughs> yep. why it was so bad. That was so terrible. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that Will Smith thought this was going to be okay. It was like, oh, he, he was like, oh, it's Shyamalan. But this is the same guy that thought Wild Wild West would be okay. So, yeah. I mean, he's made some questionable choices. <laughs> yeah. But he's not the fucking guy making the nope. movie. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah. Yeah, so Glass was horrendous. Oh, man. And I'm convinced that M. Night Shyamalan, he got in his roots with Split yeah. and Grandma and the Visit to Grandma movie. Mm. Okay. There was just kind of like, all right, you make that kind of movie. Yeah. Don't go for the big high-end stuff. Nope. Keep it intimate. Keep it tiny. Keep a small budget. Mm-hmm. Work within those restrictions. You'll be fucking fantastic. Yeah. Anything other than that, you're going to fuck up your own movie. He, doesn't have, I, I, he just doesn't have the vision to make, to make it as interesting as it could be. No, unfortunately then, not. Yeah. So Glass sucked. It was awful. I would definitely um, not be seeing that. Yeah. Then. <laughs> I, f- I feel like you should watch it mm-hmm. with the same energy that you watch like bad supernatural TV shows, you know, to exploit it and laugh at the weird choices. Okay. That's kind of how I think this movie should be watched. Okay. Because it's, it's so bizarre, some of the choices that he does. Yeah. Not even like funny bizarre. No. It's like, it's like kind of like, why? What was that about? <laughs> what was the that fuck? Necessary? Yeah. Yeah. We could have done without that, could yeah. we? That could have been a bit more fucking interesting. Like the beast crushes a guy, mm-hmm. like he just bear hugs him to death. Yeah. It's the beast. Maul a guy. Yeah. Fucking bite his throat out. You would think you would like grab somebody by the leg and just do like the Hulk slam yeah. back for a few times. Like just fucking throw them around. Yeah. It's the fucking beast. Mm. <laughs> you got a guy that survived the train yeah. that can bend metal and is fucking weak to water. Uh, make him bend something stronger mm. than a fucking 125 pounds of a bench press. How about that? Yeah. You know, mm. you know, James McAvoy flips up a car, yeah. but he doesn't even do it the hard way. Like you know, like if you flip a can, uh, if you flip a car from, from the, the front, front bumper, yeah. and you just like throw it over, it's mm-hmm. like all right, I get it. Yeah. If you flip a car from the side, not the same. Physics are on your side. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I'm not impressed. Yeah. Physics are on your, whatever. Not for the beast, yeah. Whatever. Like if if you see me go out there doing like whoa, but like for the yeah. beast, like no, bro. <laughs> Who's like who they hype as the most powerful human? Yeah, like step in human evolution because of the yeah, stupid, fucking okay. stupid. So <laughs> hate a glass. It's a shite movie. 
You might have saved me like an hour and a half of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, television and Sarah Paulson, sorry. <laughs> Sarah Paulson was in that. You know how good Sarah Paulson Who? is? Who's Sarah Paulson? She was in American Horror Story. She was the, in, I remember her from Freaks. Okay. Um, she's great. She's fucking fantastic. Oh, I've seen her face before. Yeah. Okay. She is really good. Fucking Not in this? underutilized. Oh, underutilized. No. She doesn't have anything interesting about her. She's a therapist that wants to cure these guys by thinking. Like, she's trying to tell them that they're delusional and that their problem is psychological and convincing them that they're not superheroes mm. so that they can go out into the real world and not be superheroes. Yeah. But the twist is that she works for an organization that's killing superheroes and she's just looking for a humane treatment, mm. which is a great idea. Yeah. But nothing's done with it. We only find that out 50 minutes before the ending of the fucking movie. Yeah, that would be like the... That's the 45 minutes of the fucking movie. Yeah. It fucking, I, I got triggered by this movie and I hit it. The more I think about it, the anger I get at it. I, I got, I got a, <laughs> I got something that like might not be super popular and like, I, I'm right, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's not cool to say, I guess. All right. So I watched the movie Oceans 8 uh, this yes. past week. And this is with um this is like the take on the Oceans movie, but instead of the all men men cast, it's all women right. this time. And it's got like Rihanna and Anna Kendrick and uh, a bunch of uh, Aquafina and uh, Sandra Bullock yeah. and um uh, yeah a lot of people uh, Anne Hathaway Anne Hathaway I yeah. fucking love Anne Hathaway yeah, me too. Yeah. Nice. so I watched the movie and this isn't this isn't where it's at and it was like I'm I was just listening my, my girlfriend was watching she had the same opinion about mm -hmm. it too and what was upsetting is like so you'll see like a a male dominated movie mm -hmm. and it's just to where it's just men 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 and then women are just used sparingly to further the agenda of the men right. basically you know and especially in this um in the Oceans movie Julie Roberts was used as that as well yeah. you know so it's like we see that and it's not just in the Oceans movies in lots of movies men have been doing this for centuries upon yeah. decades and and I was like that's not the way that things should be but then I watched the Oceans movie, and it was upsetting to me that the same blueprint was followed, but just, just 180. Swapped. Yeah, and I was like, it's like that's that's not, and it's just like okay, I understand, but like maybe maybe we just have to deal with that for a while because we've been like destroying them in movies for right. since the beginning of time, mm -hmm. you know. So now it's just less payback and let's be equal. I mean, let's give you a taste of the own medicine. But I was just like. It was like even in the shots, like they were just not using men at all. And like I said, this is not popular to say because like men, like we we have that shit, we run right. the shit, and we've been running for, since the centuries. But I was just like, I just wanted something better. Like I like Greta Gerwig. Mm -hmm. I like there's, there's a lot of movies that are like um, uh, what's what's. I just there's a lot of movies that I really really like that are written, directed, and starring a woman cast. Like lots of them mm -hmm. I like, but this one here in particular I could not get behind. And, and I, I think the so the gender swapping thing mm. is I think a part of the issue because you don't want to like there's an element where you don't want to reinforce the same stereotypes, mm. but just gender swap yeah. them and 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 do that. I get why it's happening yeah. because it's a lot easier to just gender swap and use the same formula. Yeah. Um, when you're trying to make like a mainstream movie like that yeah. and then market it as like female empowerment yes. and all that, yeah. which in its own right does work yes. because it puts women in this, in the centric role. Yes. And I think that's a good part it, it, of it. That is a good thing too. Um, yes. but it, cre uh, this is the, like Ocean's 8 did it. Mm. Right. Um, but then we got what woman, not what woman, what men want. Oh the yeah. Gender yeah, swap version yeah, of yeah. the Mel Gibson movie. Yes. And, and Ghostbusters. I haven't seen Ghostbusters. And so, Ghostbusters. Yeah. I haven't seen Ghostbusters either. 
Um, and like, I have no problem with the fact that the gender roles are swapped. I love that the gender roles are swapped. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is that it becomes lazy female character writing. Yes, eventually. the writing of it. Yes, yeah, it yeah, becomes man. lazy. Yep. Because the same roles that I think are not interesting for men to yep. be had in those, like Ocean's Eleven, mm -hmm. every one of those characters I don't find interesting. Yes. And they're all men. I just mm -hmm. don't care about them. Mm -hmm. And then, but then you gender swap them and you use the exact same tropes and same characters. Yeah. You're just going to have uninteresting female characters. And then that plays up the narrative for the people that are against the female characters to yep. thrive. And it's just for a them back and forth yeah. Yeah. And they just go like, well, told you this movie wasn't going to be good. All the, mm. the cast is female. Yeah. And they have, no, it's not good because they use the same tired writing formula yep. and in a gender swapped way. Yeah. And like, it's not indicative of female directors and no. female castings and female that no. like if you look at anything Catherine Bigelow has made like that's a shining she's exact example of what I'm talking about yeah. you know she's a writer she's a director and it's not just a a I'm trying to and she she is a feminist in her own right too but it's not it's not a purpose of let me put this light on this woman this is her movie even though it is a star mm -hmm. is it just shows it this happens to be a woman in a movie who happens to be the star of the movie. Yeah. And I really love her work. I really love Greta Gerwig's work. But this this Oceans movie, it didn't yeah. sit right with me. And I didn't like the formula of it at all. Yeah, I, I think that in my, like in my honest opinion, that is just a tired formula yeah. already. And we just have to get rid of it. Yep. Um, because people like like Greta Gerwig and yes, Catherine Bigelow, amazing and, Patty uh, Jenkins, Patty Jenkins, yeah, Ava DuVernay, oh. like they're doing it like creative and new, and it's like I'm getting on men the same way. It's like if you're a lazy, you know, formulaic uh, writer, like this is what I'm. Yeah, this is the the point. It's just yeah. like lazy formulaic writing. You know, when you're not being creative, you're not trying to be unique. Like that's my issue right there right you know and, and that's not to say that like female directors have to be innovative all of the time no, no. like I don't, we don't i don't we don't want to put that pressure on them no. mm. um but what's going to get through the studio system is going to be the same tired formula yeah uh being rewritten over and over again yep. with a gender swap so yep. that they can feel like they're doing something great for the female community yeah. meanwhile people like patty jenkins and greta gerwig and and um what was it catherine bigelow yeah are doing these amazing movies yes. that don't get enough attention because mm -hmm. they, they're a little bit too understated or a little bit too complicated mm -hmm. for the mainstream market. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, like, movies that could really empower a female audience yeah. and inspire female, like, young female yep. directors that yeah. want to be in that field. Yeah. Like, Wonder Woman is one of the best examples of, like, female empowerment that I've ever seen. I agree. Uh, because, yes, she's meant to look glamorous. Mm -hmm. She's meant to be... Wonder Woman. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a really innate sense at the core message of the film that she is good enough, yes. that she is powerful enough. Yes. And I think that when you layer in that message with really good organic writing yeah. and good execution, then it delivers a lot better than like forcing it into a formula that doesn't translate that message. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with a lot of the gender swap movement. Mm -hmm. In its nature, it's good. Yeah. In execution, it usually ends up being more problematic than it's not. Yeah. yeah. Like, don't don't be like men. Like, we fucking suck. Like, you know? <laughs> like, for real, like, I mean, be be original. Be yourselves, you know? Because, like, yeah. I love... Like, I love... I, I, I'm done. It's just yeah. like that. That movie just fucked me up because I was like, "Whoa!" Like, all right, because you know, I was happy about this at first. So like, right. I'm like, "All right," but then I seen it. And I'm like, "Y'all didn't do nothing," and I just had to not say nothing, you know, because like it's not cool. It's not popular. Like, are you bashing women? You got something to say? And no, it's like this not a good movie, man. And and, that, and that's <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, also like as a culture, because like as internet culture and the critics and everything gets overwhelming. Yeah. 
And there also has to be a divide from like what's happening in culture versus like the quality of a project in itself. Yeah. Like the quality of the movie is not indicative of the quality of women working on the movie. Exactly. Um, it just happened to suck as a movie yes. and it flopped on the, like on the box market. Yeah. On the it box office. a very good movie. Um, so it, it's, it's a weird thing to navigate. Yeah. Especially now, but like yep. fucking just give people like Greta Gerwig a shot, mm-hmm. you know, and like focus on those female directors because they're the ones doing, um, they're the ones doing a lot of like really interesting work. Yes. And sending empowering messages yep. like super organically and not through the studio system that's mm-hmm. still run by men. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just a whole fucking thing. Yeah. Like that's like the stuff that Ava DuVernay is doing. Like that's the stuff I want my daughter to be able to see. The stuff that Patty Jenkins, like you said, that's mm-hmm. what I want my daughter to see. Things like right. that. But, um. And movies yeah. can be mainstream and have yes. that really good Wonder Woman. The, the one, that's a Wonder Woman. Yeah, that's a perfect example. They can be mainstream and do that. Yep. Um, but we just have to we just have to separate ourselves from like what has worked for men mm. in storytelling. Men get away with a lot of shit yeah. that women don't. So I get the idea of wanting to do the shit that men yep. have been doing historically in filmmaking. Yep. Um, but we're getting to a point where like just the quality of shit is just so yeah. bad now that yeah. I'm just like casting everything away. Yep. And it's just, it's a whole conversation. Like, yeah. Just make good movies, man. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, so uh, television movie premieres for Tuesday, March the 5th through Monday, March the 11th. Uh, the first thing is going to be Friday, March the 8th is Afterlife. It's a comedy on Netflix. Uh, the latest series from Ricky Gervais, you'll know him from The oh, Office, yeah. Extras, or Derek, is a six-episode dark comedy about um, a contented man who is shaken when his wife suddenly dies. Uh, he responds by deciding to turn off his internal censor and punish the world by doing and saying anything he wants from now on. Uh, Gervais stars and writes and directs every episode. Fucking Ricky Gervais, funny comedian. Mm-hmm. His his content is all like just say inappropriate things, do inappropriate things mm-hmm. for shock humor. That is his entire. Uh, like he has a brand of shock humor. Um, that is like, because he had a movie, The Invention of a Lie. Yes, Invention of Lying. Yes, I like um, that. Invention of Lying, which yeah. is a good movie. I'm not yeah. saying it's not, but he's really writing this thing about comedians not having to adapt to the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just getting a little contrived. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see how this works, but too. like his narrative is getting a little contrived right now. I haven't seen him so much recently, but um, there that is something that I want to kind of dig into because I've been hearing Chappelle say a lot about that mm-hmm. too and the underworld of comedy you know saying they they refuse that they're kind of buckling down of staying true to comedy and what they find funny if they find it funny it's funny and it doesn't matter what society has decided that isn't funny anymore right you know so Dave Chappelle is very much on that train as well and I'm kind of torn here because like things that are very inappropriate and shouldn't be in our society anymore I still laugh at you know, but it's like, I won't repeat it and I won't like retweet it, you know, mm-hmm. and I won't go say it to someone, but it's like, I still find humor in it. And that's where Chappelle is coming from. It's like, we can act like these things that are super inappropriate shouldn't be said, but it doesn't change the fact that it is here and you do find this funny, you know? So it's like, it's, it's a rough thing to navigate. So I'm not on either side yet, but I see that it's happening and I want to dive into that see, a little. Like, I think I like the idea of like, cause finding comedy, like finding humor and things is the true nature of comedy yeah. like even a dark humor yeah. like that's genuinely like an avenue for comedy yeah. I think the idea of not adapting to the world around you mm. though is harmful it can be uh, and like sure you find it funny you may have a market that finds it funny mm. 
but you can't be angry at the world that has shifted those values mm-hmm. for finding it not funny. Yeah. Like you have the right to say it. Mm-hmm. We have the right to, to tell you to go it. fuck yourself for yeah. saying it, yeah. you know? Uh, so like, I get that. Yeah. But these are, th- th- this comes down to me with the same way that Spielberg is handling the Netflix thing, mm. where it's just like older people that have been working in the industry for 25 plus years yep. don't like the way that the industry is changing. Doing it now, yeah. So they want to gatekeep it and they want to offend and keep the people that are new. Yeah. And adapting to the environment a lot better from working in it. Because like if that. they work in it, it means that the industry that they know mm-hmm. died and they no longer have a market. That's super and, true. Yeah, And so like that for me is what's happening with people like Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. People like now who uh, Louis C.K. falls into this gate too. Mm-hmm. I love Louis C.K. Yeah. And like I love it. Like he's got really good jokes. He's a yes. great comedian. Oh yeah. But he's in this camp where he's just like fucking like I did like for, he had that that sexual assault thing mm. and then after that he just doubled down and like being offensive yeah. and it's just like Louis you can't fucking do this shit like you had a fuck up mm. you were called out for it yeah. and then you responded in exactly the exact opposite way that someone in your position should have responded to yeah. and it happened to Dave Chappelle he had a fuck up yep. with the transgender community you mm-hmm. responded in exactly the opposite way Yeah, it's not gonna be long before Ricky Gervais has a fuck up that he can't walk away from I agree like, well, it's, it's, it's difficult for comedians because they're not taking serious at all. So it's like they can say some really, really bad things. And like you, the comedians generally don't get in trouble for what they say. They get in trouble for what they do. You right. know, so if, if Ricky Gervais does something, that's oh shit. <laughs> if, he, if he does something ridiculous, then yeah, we coming for that ass. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, it is it's a tough thing. And I like to brought up that Spielberg because I'm agreeing. And that, that metaphor of comparing the two things, yeah, that's gatekeeping. Yeah. And just trying to keep, it's like, oh, yeah, back when I was young, we had to do, we had to jump through 20 hula hoops and, and they were on fire. We had to go through all of that. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, well, maybe we don't have to do that yeah. anymore. How it's about like, don't? Yeah, we, we don't <laughs> want to do that. Well, well what, if y'all just get in without jumping through the hula hoops that are on fire, then what does that say about me? Well, yeah, and it's like, no, I'm not. Right. No. They feel invalidated by the fact that the market has changed so much and we're looking for different things in the market yeah. because it threatens their job security and there, it threatens their ability to be out in the world there was there was something like I was trying to I always try to find like empathy with um, when someone is looked at as the bad person or the negative person or the person mm-hmm. I don't agree with and Steven Spielberg is that person in this scenario and I'm, and I'm just thinking like okay when you're making movies initially it's not enough to just make a very good movie you know because there's plenty of people that make good movies like um, Cassavetti that we're going to mm-hmm. talk about later in the, in the block who I'd never heard of before who's right. making great movies but Spielberg. Are you talking about Cassavetes? Hmm? Just, like, just like Castlevania. Oh, no. I mean, well, Cassavetti, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Cassavetti movies we'll be doing. But um, Steven Spielberg is like, it wasn't enough to make a good movie. He wanted to make a movie that people would be willing to leave out of their house and come pay $8 and sit inside of a room yeah. to come watch it. Like, he wanted those things to be bigger than life. So his task wasn't just so much making a good movie. It was what is compelling enough to get someone to come into a movie theater. And that's right. a whole job in itself. And he's like, if you take that element out of the movie making process to where you don't have to make these blockbusters to get people out of the seat then it's a lot easier for them than it is for me and now they're going to be getting all these awards and um, acknowledgement without doing half the work that I had to do right. and at that point I'm just like alright Spielberg go shut the fuck up somewhere Yeah, you know? because like he it also fails to acknowledge the fact that he grew up when in his formative years in the industry mm-hmm. it was the 70s and 80s yeah. like filmmaking was prohibitively expensive for the common oh, folk yeah, yeah. And there's just no way that anyone like us could have made it into the industry without working 15 years into it or getting lucky enough to be rich. Uh, And so, like, they don't acknowledge, like, 
how different the environment is. Yeah. Like the market has shifted, sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the film production environment mm-hmm. has drastically changed in the 70s. Oh, yeah. You don't have room to say what works anymore. You no longer have power here. No. <laughs> People are going to do it with or without you. Yep. And you either adapt to the new market Mm -hmm. or people write articles about you being an asshole about not having awards for Netflix, you know? And and I hate to say it because I love Spielberg movies. I think his movies are great. He's a great director. But shut the fuck up and let the people that are working in your field Mm -hmm. innovate on the field. Yes. Because that's how great movies... You had your run. You did. You had Jaws. You had... Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. You had E.T. Catch Me If You Can, E.T. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, he sees that a lot. Those are movies that exist because your environment allowed those movies to exist easier. And so, like, now we have movies like Swiss Army Man Mm -hmm. and fucking Good Time and all of this shit. Beast of No Nation and Roma. Like, all these movies that are coming out from Netflix that is just, and he's upset that it's like, oh, so you'll put a movie out that's in five theaters for two weeks and it's considered a, a wide release. You know, and because sure. that Netflix will basically do that, yeah, you know, right. just so they can get the the awards. And I'm just like, man, just you're, it seems like you're the on the porch guy, get off my lawn, guy. Like, no. man, like, what what are you so upset? Like, nobody's taking anything from you. Like, if you see that these doors are open, like, can you not walk through those doors? Right. Is why you're upset. <laughs> Spielberg made a fucking direct for Netflix movie. You know how much fucking money that would bring. It may, maybe he yeah. tried to do a movie and they wouldn't uh, give him his five hundred million dollars. I guess <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's why he's better about it. It's just like fucking like adapt through the market, adapt yeah. to it. You're yeah. going to be left out. And none of us care, really. Because yeah. yeah. um, in most, in the eyes of some of the filmmakers that are working on, you're just another old white guy trying to keep us from being in the industry. That's the conservative bullshit that I'm talking about. Like, what the fuck are you trying to conserve? What are you right. conserving? Like, you want things to be that way still forever? Right. Like, where, where black directors and women weren't getting the, the opportunity to do the things they want? You want to conserve that? You want to keep the, the that old way? Yeah. It's like, that's not progressive thinking at all. No. Like, when people want to hold on to the old guard like I'm very wary of these type of people you know when you're not trying to be progressive in your thinking and it's, it's just backwards to me it it's like so it's like I'm, I like Steven Spielberg's movies but it's like with that kind of thinking like it just I'm separating him a little bit right now and also it's one of those things where like do you really care about the medium mm. at that point because if that's like the way the medium is changing mm. And you're dis- disowning that. You never really cared about, about the art the of cinema. Yeah. You wanted to use the art of cinema to benefit yourself. Mm. And now that that's in threat, then the whole medium is a threat. But talk like, if talk. you cared about the medium, just be like, yeah, I guess digital distribution is the way that we're doing this now. Yes. Like Martin Scorsese ad- adopted yes. digital distribution. Perfect example. But he's worked in the same period as, as Spielberg. Yes, right before him. Yeah. Yes. He just realized, he's just like, hey, this is a market mm-hmm. that I can tap into yeah. um, because I still want to make movies. Yeah. And I don't know. I just like Spielberg can kind of fuck off yeah. for that whole situation. Yeah. And like Netflix movies, like there's a lot of movies that deserve a lot of recognition. Yes. Like went to Netflix, like yeah. fucking Roma. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, let's see. T- this is a tangential episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Uh, so yeah, television and movie premieres from uh, Tuesday the 5th, uh, March 5th through Monday, March 11th. Uh, so we did the Afterlife. That was a tension yeah. we got off on. The Afterlife is going to be on Friday, March the 8th on Netflix. It's a comedy from Ricky Gervais. Uh, the next and last television show this week is Sunday, March the 10th. It's American Gods. Ah, oh, fuck yeah. Neil Gaiman. Ga- Gaiman. Gave me a Neil, Neil Gaiman's adaptation displayed no, Neil second. Gaiman. Gaiman? Yeah, I think so. Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Uh, Neil Gaiman's adaptation delayed second season follows some behind the scenes turmoil which saw several different showrunners ooh replaced and fired yeah that had a bit of a rough rough time but Neil Gaiman is has been working on the show directly all right um but I read that novel Mm. 
It's fucking fantastic. Yes. I love that shit. I mean, apparently, like everything that he touches turns yeah. to gold. I mean, oh, so good. Yes, yeah, so I think he's good. got David Tennant. Does he? Uh, in the running Amazing. as one of the one of the gods. Okay. Um, I think it's uh, it's not Mr. Wednesday. It's one of the other guys. Right. Um, but David Tennant's in this. It's got a lot of like really fantastic, not like well-known actors mm. but actors that whenever you see on screen you're just like oh that. fuck yeah that guy okay um yeah so i'm really looking forward for it being good um nice. th- he's got good omens happening too like another novel by terry pratchett that became into a television show okay um he's just he's got god damn fucking love neil gaiman man like Amer- <laughs> american god season one got like super great reviews yeah you know i've I seen not one episode so it's like hopefully this is amazing and i'll get yeah. on yeah. and uh he's got a master class right now so do you know that whole master class yeah. thing i like those yeah um, for like $180 you can get just a shitload of them mm. but Neil Gaiman has a master class on storytelling specifically oh. not writing just storytelling like, just storytelling yeah. like the ability to tell stories yeah. and I really want to get it because yeah. it looks fucking phenomenal he's a master of that I'll, yeah. tell, you, I'll tell you that that's, uh, that's Sunday March the 10th that's going to be on Stars at 8pm American Gods uh, that's it for television and there's a few movies well there's a couple as two uh, the first one is The Kid it's rated R. It's a biography drama western. The story of a young boy who witnesses Billy the Kid's encounter with Sherrod Pat Garrett. It's directed by Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, Vincent Isn't that D'Onofrio? D'Onofrio. Isn't, isn't that the guy that played Fisk in Daredevil? Is that him? I think so. Huh. Vincent D'Onofrio? Yeah, that's, that's how it's spelled. You, you're pronouncing it right. Yeah, that's Vincent D'Onofrio. I am... Um, if that's not the guy that played Fisk in Daredevil, mm. uh, the guy from Daredevil has a very similar name. Okay. Because <laughs> I follow him on Twitter. Let's see here. Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, he is a large yeah, exactly him. Yeah. He's the guy that played Fisk in that's Daredevil. Him? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's, he's directing this movie. It's okay. um, The Kid, and it's starring Chris Pratt, Vincent D'Onofrio. He's starring in it. Yeah. Ethan Hawke and Dane DeHaan, I guess it is. Dane DeHaan. Um, as much as I liked his portrayal of uh, Fisk in um, in Daredevil, I'm so far off the Chris ba- uh, Chris Pratt. <laughs> That's train. exactly what I was gonna say. I'm so far gone on that. Chris Pratt being in that really fucked it up for yep. me. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's so crazy. Like the huge fall from grace. Like Man. he was like he slowly g- was going up that mountain on uh, Parks and Recreation, and then somebody seen something in him and pulled him out, yeah. and it was like Guardians of the Galaxy. Then he got all buff and became a sex symbol, and then it's just like his real life and his movie life was just like. Rrr! He did the grind. He did the grind. He climbed up to the top yep. and then just fucking nosedived yeah. right off it. Yeah. It was like and Anna Kendrick. Oh, that was great that we, you know, we had this life together. Oh, I'm done with that. I'm man. off that. We're done. Oh, this whole Jesus stuff. Yeah. Everybody going to need to know about yeah. all this Jesus stuff. That's the thing that really put me you know? off. The and, and the show. passengers. It's like. It was, was such a bad Yeah. Man. It was like your, your, your regular life and then now you're marrying one of the Schwarzeneggers. And it's like all this stuff is here. Is he? Yeah. The fuck? Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's neither here nor there. That like, doesn't impact like how what kind of actor he is. But it's just like I'm off of him. I'm do you off. think you think he'll run for governor of California? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe I wouldn't you be know. surprised, honestly. We know he might not have. Well, I don't know. No. Anyway, yeah, that's the kid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chris Pratt. I would. I still go see it based on the fact that Vincent D'Onofrio is a really talented actor, and I want to see how he's directing. And Ethan Hawke's in it too. So I mean, I fucking love Ethan Hawke. And it's rated R, so it's like it has some things going for him. But it's just like I, you got to go see it, then tell me about it before I (laughs) see this one. If it's it's mediocre, it's just like nah, not gonna, (laughs) not gonna waste my time Uh -uh. looking at Chris Pratt's fucking face. Nope. And the uh, the last thing is Captain Marvel. 
Oh, I'm really excited for that. It's a PG-13 movie, 124-minute runtime. It's an action-adventure sci-fi movie. Uh, Carol Danvers becomes one of the universe's most powerful heroes when Earth is caught in the middle of a galactic war between two alien races. Fucking Brie Larson. Starring Brie Larson and uh, Samuel Jackson. She's so good. I'm going to need someone to go see this one, too. I think I'm gonna go before see it. before I can see it. It's just because like I'm a comic book reader and I was never a big fan of Captain Marvel mm-hmm. in any different version of Captain Marvel at all. Like any variation of it. Yeah, yeah, variation. Yeah, like I was never a fan of Captain Marvel. Like it's I just I don't know. Like, just wasn't into it. Yeah. So I mean, um, I'm interested. Like first of all, I love Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may know her from Scott Pilgrim. Yep. She uh, fucking love her. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to this because like. Fucking Black Widow so hasn't got enough fucking movie. No. <laughs> like, we just need a female-led fucking Marvel movie. A Mar- okay. Uh, right. Like, I'm excited to see what a female-led Marvel movie looks like. Mm. And that's my, uh, my that's my appeal to it. Okay. I just want to see what they do with that. Yeah. And then from there, see if I want to fuck with it or not. Yeah. Um, because it's, she's the first Marvel she's superhero. The first. She's the first. Um, that's like, has her own movie. Yep. And is doing her own thing. Yep. And I think that Brie Larson is an excellent choice, and the internet has been going fucking crazy about hey. it. And I, I just, I, I want to see what plays out of it because I'm not good. invested in Marvel. I'm not invested in Marvel anymore. Yeah. But Brie Larson, I, I'll, I'll put some time in for her. I hope it's good because I mean, it's still, it's still Marvel, and like I got to know everything about it. No. You know, so it's like if it is, I'm gonna see it either way. But it's just like, I'm, am I gonna pay my money or am I not? And I'm not right. gonna pay my money. I don't think. You know, but we'll see. Hopefully, it's good. Do you know that fun fact? They use that. Do you know that the in that Avengers movie that they de-age Robert Downey Jr. Mm. for like that one shot? You know, like they he's traveling in his memory. Yeah, and like they're showing that. Yeah, like they de-age him for that one shot. Okay, they did that for every scene. Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie because he's this movie takes place in the seventies. Okay, yeah. So imagine the budget for that shit. Yeah, must have been fucking wild. Astronomical. Wow. But yeah, that's Captain Marvel. I hope that I hope it does super super yeah. good because it's the same reason like other things that I might not be um, there for that it opens the door for other things that I definitely am here for. Right. You know, because I wanted a Dark Phoenix movie for the longest. I think they're still doing that, but I don't want this one. <laughs> you know, that they're it's making. It's not gonna be good. No, I don't want. Did that you see one. the costumes? <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So it's like if I, if I if I was gonna have the first female lead movie that was gonna be Marvel, my choice would have been very biased. I'm choosing Storm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Storm so good. Yes, it's like her story. You know, just from being a kid mm-hmm. and growing up, the claustrophobia and just everything. I would have chosen her. You know, my number two would have been Jean Grey. Um, it's like I had a number of other ones that I would have chosen before Captain Marvel, but I hope it does super well so I can get maybe something that I want. Yeah, you know? so. yeah I can fuck with that. I, I, I want it to do well so that every fucking sexist, racist mm. white boy in the internet yeah. can fuck off. Did they, were they, did, was there an uproar after, um, Absolutely. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. After the announcement that Brie Larson was no, going to no, play? No, um, the, uh, the Patty Jenkins, uh, Wonder Woman. Did, oh, um, it was DC, mm. so a lot of fans weren't like, the same, yeah. The, there's not a lot of crossover. And, like, I feel like DC fans just wanted a good movie. Uh-huh. So there was definitely not a whole lot. Oh, okay, I got you. Um, but, yep. like, the Marvel people are just like, oh, all these social justice warriors yeah. and all the social shit. Sinking into feminism. They're going to ruin the franchise oh, okay. for me. Like, all that shit is happening. Get the fuck out of here with that. Um, and it's just oh, so fucking bad. Yeah. So I want this movie to do better than most Marvel movies. Yeah. So that, that they can suck a that, dick. That almost makes me want to, like, Pay for a movie <laughs> that I'm not even super interested in. <laughs> for that fact just pay alone. for the ticket and just not just go. not even go. Yeah. yeah, it's like here, here's the twelve bucks. Yep, I want to, I want to support the idea. I want to support the movement. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Captain Marvel. 
right. Hopefully it does very well. Yeah, I agree. Um, That's it for today's episode. Very tangential episode. Um, I'm into it. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and do the rundown. You can find us on Twitter at underscore FFS Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the FFS Podcast. You can find us on iTunes Podcast app, uh, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify under the name for film's sake. My personal Twitter handle is at Brian Achilla. I'm at T-H-A underscore V-O-N-Z. Hey, and that's it for today's episode. We will see you next week. Bye.